Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Thursday night's a big night for us at the church. Uh, it's, it's the night we're going to meet with the Aspen group. You have your bulletin, you have this little piece of paper in there. Take that out real quick, just real quick, we're going to look at it. There are seven ministry groups on, on this sheet. We're going to ask you to come together on Thursday night, and we're going to split out into these seven ministry groups. And, um, you know, maybe you're involved in one of these areas, and you, you would have, uh, you know, like you, you're so involved, you've got things to say, this is how it happens, this is what we need. Um, we're going to debrief the people who do ministry in this church about these particular things with an eye to the future and how... Um, what, what our facilities need to look like and what is it that we, we need to do. Maybe we can reconfigure some things that we already have or maybe we need to build something. <clears throat> Don't know. But we're trying to figure that out and it all starts with this meeting on Thursday night. If you <clears throat> have a passion about one of these areas and maybe you're not involved, there's a couple of opportunities for you. You can come to somebody and say, hey, I want to be involved in that. Or you can come and just listen as other people talk about these ministry areas. But this is a meeting for you. This is where we want to hear uh, you know, from you about what's going on in the, because to be honest with you, I have no clue what's going on in our junior, I have some clue, but I've got, I really don't know how many kids they've got in our Ark Park area, um, how crowded it is. I, I don't know all that. I don't see the chaos that goes on back there because um, I'm kind of busy on Sunday morning. So, so it's th- this meeting on Thursday night at 630. Uh, Tim from the Aspen Group is going to be here. He's going to address us for about 15 minutes. It's going to go from 630 to 830. We're going to break out into these groups and talk about where we're going as a church, what we want to see happen, and how it needs to be um, facilitated. So I hope that you will show up for this. We, this is something, we're, we're, a, we're on the verge of big things around here, and this is kind of the beginning of it. So uh, if you've got the night off and can be here and have a passion for any of these things, please, please show up and be with us. And maybe you can't get out, or maybe you think, you know, I just, I'm not going to go to that meeting. At least stop down and pray for us. At least lift us up and pray for us because th- these are big times for us. This is some pretty major stuff we could possibly be stepping into, and we want to do it the right way. We don't want to do something we're not supposed to, and so we're 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 we really need you to pray for us. Okay, I'm going to wrap up the last of the Amplify series this morning with a sermon called "Pray for Rain." Sometimes, when you uh, ask God to speak, you invite God to do some things maybe that you, it's a dangerous thing to ask God to speak to you in your life. It's a dangerous thing to, to kind of say, you know, Lord, I want you to talk to me because what he says might be challenging, could be very convicting. It could be a, a, a big bomb that gets dropped on you. Sometimes we pray, speak to me, Lord, and the things that God calls us to do or tells us to do are things that we don't want to do. Um, sometimes when you say, speak to me, Lord, the kind of things that he calls you to are things that you're thinking, man, I, you know, I wanted you to speak, but I didn't really want to hear that particular thing. That's really not what I had in mind. Sometimes when you ask God to speak to you, he will call you away from some sin, maybe that you've got wrapped around you like a blanket that is so comfortable and it's such a comfort zone for you. And you think, man, if I leave this behind, if I put this away, it's, I I don't know how I'm going to it, it might be a habitual thing, you know, that you think, I, I just don't know if I can do it. And when God speaks to you and calls you to embrace holiness, it can be, a, a, let's be honest, sometimes that can be a very difficult thing for us to embrace. And, and sometimes when God speaks to us about maybe a relationship that has gone the wrong way or it's, it's not going the way it should go and he's calling you to repair it, he's calling you to reconcile it, and you think, man, you know, I'd, I'd rather do anything 
and have to fix that relationship. I just, you know, God, I just don't want to do that. Um, It's difficult to hear God sometimes, not because he's not speaking. Sometimes it's difficult because we don't like what he's saying. We don't like to to be told, um, you know, that maybe something we're doing is wrong or that something we're doing needs to change. And sometimes when we invite God to speak to us, that's what we hear. Sometimes we're, we're begging God to change something or we're asking him for something and the answer is wait or the answer is no and we don't like that. You know, we, we expect a yes answer. We expect it to be given to us on a platter and God, why aren't you moving and why am I not hearing from you? And so, you know, we struggle sometimes whenever we ask God to speak to us and what we get back is not necessarily what we bargain for. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I hear Bible zippers and papers. I love that. That's great. You guys bring your Bibles. That's awesome. We like it when you're writing your Bibles around here. Bring a pen and underline and circle. I got an email from somebody recently that said, man, I'm, my, my Exodus chapter 3 is all marked up from where you've been preaching. I got stuff written all over it. Well, that just fuels my fire, dude. So get your pens out. First Kings chapter 17 is, is um, the story that may be familiar to you. If you remember, we um, we just covered Elijah about a month and a half ago, and we're going to go back to him again, but I promise you it's new material, okay? It's gonna, we're going to look at Elijah from a completely different, what I think is a very enlightening perspective. Um, we see Elijah the prophet kind of burst onto the scene, and, and when you hear his name, his name means, my God is Yahweh. In, in fact, the word is Eliyahu. That's what Elijah really would sound like if, you, if he was going to say it, Eliyahu. And the name is kind of in response to the nation of Israel that had a lot of false gods. And, and the, the, the name means my God is God. My God is Yahweh, the one true God. And so it was kind of a, a name to speak to the, the Israelites. And, and the first time we meet Elijah in the Bible, he kind of appears out of nowhere. And we read this about Elijah's first sermon. This is Elijah's new preacher in town he's going to preach this is the sermon he's going to give you tell me if you'd want to go to his church now elijah the tishbite from the tish from tishbe in gilead said to ahab as the lord the god of israel lives whom i serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word you want to go to his church doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun does it this is his introductory sermon to the nation of israel Okay, this, this does not sound like the kind of sermon that's going to bring them and pack them in. This is not, you know, they don't teach you in Bible college to go start your first ministry and preach sermons like this because people don't want to go to churches where sermons like this get delivered. It's not going to rain for the next several years. And not only is it not going to rain, it's not going to rain until I give the word that it is to rain. So he, he kind of paints this big X on his chest. Um, the king, Ahab, is, is not real thrilled with all that. And um, he walks off the stage. That, that's the end of it. He, you know, hey, it's not going to rain for three years, and it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. See ya. And he leaves. Now, you know, that's not how you start a great booming ministry in, in your church. That's not going to pack them in next week. But, but here's what I would say. Real preachers tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. Right? Real preachers will tell you that you shouldn't sleep with your girlfriend. Real preachers will tell you that if you've got a, a, a schism between you and someone in your, in your life that's not whole and fixed, that it needs to be fixed. Real preachers 
will tell you to forgive your sister or forgive your brother if they've done something that, that they shouldn't have done or, or, you know, that have hurt you in some way. The thing is, when you go to the doctor, if you, if you, heaven forbid that this happened, but if you had a disease, something really bad wrong with you, and it was serious, and you went to the doctor, and he knew that it was serious with you, but he didn't take the time and explain it so that you understood it was serious. And not only that, he didn't really do what he needed to do to address your problem. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you went to, went to the doctor, I, 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 and I'm, believe me, I've lived this out in the last week because my dad had an ear infection. He and mom, we went to the doctor with him, and dad promptly got in the car and told mom how he wasn't going to do what the doctor told him to do. And I'm like, dad, you know, what are you, what are you doing? <clears throat> oh, my father. God love him. Anyway, you go to the doctor and, and he's not being forthright with you. He does not tell you that you've got serious problems. If, if a doctor behaves that way, we call that malpractice. If you've got something really bad wrong with you and he doesn't address it and he doesn't try to fix it and get you convinced that you need to work on something, that we've got to take steps to make this so that it doesn't kill you, then, then doctors get in trouble for that. But somehow when a preacher tells the truth from God's word and says, hey, you know, I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm going to say this anyway. This is a really important thing for you to hear. Somehow the preacher gets labeled as judgmental or narrow or whatever, when in fact what the preacher's trying to do is be helpful. Well, Elijah has made King Ahab so mad that his announcement, uh, with his announcement that he, there's going to be no rain throughout the land, that, that Ahab wants to kill him, okay? Ahab is looking to, to kill him, and, and, but God hides Elijah for this season throughout the entire drought. And just as Elijah prophesied that the rain didn't fall for three, three years, no rain, not a drop from the sky. Things in the nation of Israel are really bad. The agricultural infrastructure is just disintegrated. Uh, there's, there's, people are dying. There's, there's no, there are no resources. There is no water. There is no food. It's just a really bad time. And all of a sudden, after three years, Elijah, that hadn't been heard from for that whole time, shows back up. And he comes riding in to announce that, he, that God is finally ready to reveal himself. Now, if you have been going for three years with no rain, and you've been praying for rain, okay, that's, that's the thing that's been on your mind is, is rain, and, and you have a, a prophet that comes in, a preacher comes in and says, hey, God is about to reveal himself and answer your prayers, what you're thinking is, well, he's about to send rain. But what happens if, if when the preacher shows up, and in this case, he gets to the king and all his entourage, and he makes this announcement that a plan has been devised, that, that God is going to answer and speak. What happens if it's not exactly what you planned on it being? Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22. Slip over there from, from 17. We're going to stay in chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, verse 22. <clears throat> then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets, but Baal has 450 prophets. There was also a false god named Asherah, he had 400 prophets. So you got 850 guys versus Elijah. Verse Kings chapter 18, verse 23. Elijah's talking to these prophets, and he's, this is what he tells them. Get two bulls for us. Let, to, let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of of the Lord. 
So we're going to have this duel, this you know, dueling gods, and we're going to call on their name, and we're going to see what happens. Then he says, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Now, it hasn't rained in three years. Three years, not a drop from the sky. There, there's not a trace of relief in sight. The ground is parched. Uh, people have lost loved ones. This is not a good situation. People are cranky. You know, this is, people are starving to death. It's just not uh, an environment that you would want to be a part of. And so when there's been a drought in the land for that many years, you can bet people are on their knees praying, God, please send the rain. Please send the rain. Elijah shows up, and God's about to appear and make himself known. He's about to answer our prayers, Elijah says. And then, but he's not going to answer the prayer in the way that we expect or want because he's not going to send rain. He's going to send fire. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 33. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, I, I am not, you know, Johnny Camper, all right? We all know that. I'm not Johnny Camper. I can, I can pitch a tent, and I can build a fire with the rest of you, and I can, you know... If, if we got some lunch meat or something, I can survive. You know, I can do that whole deal. It's not my favorite thing, but I can do it. I'm not the world's greatest outdoorsman, and we all know that. But even I know that if you're going to build a fire, you don't douse your wood with a bunch of water before you try and set a flame to it. Well, let me say this. Sometimes God will wet your wood before he ignites it so that when it lights up, there is no question that he's been there and he's been involved. Does that make sense? Sometimes when God is, is, a, is about some business, he will wet your wood. And you will wonder, what, why in the world, God, would you do that? I thought you were going to show up and do something great. God says, I'm going to do something great, but we've got to wet your wood first. We've got to make sure that when we get done with this, that everybody knows who gets glory for it, and everybody knows what's going on, that I've been here. Sometimes he wants to take away every option so that by the time he's done doing what it is that he's going to do, there's no question that he's been there and he's been involved. You know, he doesn't want you and me taking credit for our Cub Scout fire starting skills and, and going, you know, look what, a, look what great lessons I learned when I was a Boy Scout because I can start this fire. God says, no, I want to douse the wood. Because I'm going to light it on fire and I'm going to wow everybody when I do. You've got wet wood. You're expecting a fire. And not only that, it seems a little illogical to me, at least, and irresponsible if you're Elijah. It, it seems weird that in this particular environment, you're going to take this precious commodity, this water that, that you just can't seem to get enough of, and you're just going to pour it in bunches on a bunch of wood. You want a fire. You want a fire, but you're, you're going to douse the wood, and you're going to douse the wood with the thing that you need the most, the thing that you're making the sacrifice for to begin with. It, it just, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But I can't tell you how many times in my life and in the, in the lives of others that I've had conversations with where I've heard somebody say, you know, God just isn't making any sense. We always want God to make sense. And I'm going to preach a series of sermons one of these days from the, the Dobson book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. That's a great book, and uh, there's some great preaching material in that book. But, 
but that's what we want, and that's the big complaint with most people about God, is that God doesn't make sense to us. And so here's another case. You know, you're, you're going to light this wood on fire, but we're going to douse it first, and we're going to douse it with these precious resources that we call water. The whole thing doesn't make sense. Sometimes what God's doing does not make sense. Verse 34, do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So now, we're not just pouring water out. We're wasting water, okay? We're, it's, it's hitting the ground. It's just, you know, they're just dumping all this water. Can you imagine people that have been fighting, just praying, God, please, I just need some water, and you're watching all this water get poured out on wood, and it's running down, and it's hitting the ground, and it's building up in a trench? I mean, can you imagine it just wouldn't make any sense. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate. It's not the word I used in the first service. Prostrate. I always get, who else gets them confused? I'm not the only one that gets them confused. And cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The question today is, what do you do When you're praying for God to send you rain and give you an answer in a specific part of your life and, and you get fire instead. What do you do when you're going through a drought and you're praying for rain and you sorely need rain and what God decides to give you is fire instead? What do you do when you've been praying for God's provision and your financial resources and you, it's like, God, this is serious. We're going under and we need help and, and I don't know where it's going to come from. We need you. And it doesn't seem like help is there. Uh, in fact, your, your financial situation goes lower and lower. You ever been praying for rain and gotten fire instead? You ever, been, you ever been pouring yourself out and saying, God, I don't know, my back's against the wall, I can't do anything else. What are you doing? It's not making sense to me. You've got to show up, you've got to do something. And it just seems like all you're getting is not a blessing, but you're getting more of a trial. Instead of getting better, it gets worse. What do you do? When you're lonely and you're praying, God, please send somebody into my life to help take away some of this loneliness, but you're not getting more friends. You're losing friends, maybe because of a stance you've taken, maybe because you've, you've stood for the right thing, but for whatever reason, you're just not getting whatever it is from God that you need. You're praying for rain, and the more you pray, all you're getting is, is just a, a, a fire for your offering. It's a difficult thing to receive fire from God when your offering is already scorched, you know, when, when it just feels like, man, what are we doing here? Sometimes when we're praying for God to send us a shower of blessing over that thing that we've prayed for, he sends us a trial by fire instead. So, you know, I, what that sounds like or looks like in your life maybe is if you struggle with depression and you say, God, you know, please help me. I'm, I, this, this depression is, it overwhelms me. I, you've got to make this better. And it doesn't get better. Or you're praying for, 
a job. God, I need a job. I mean, I need to be employed. My family needs me to be employed. Come on, I'm going crazy in this house. Please put me to work. And there's no job for you. And it doesn't seem like there's going to be one coming. Or maybe you, you pray for patience. And God decides to send you kids. What does God say when you've been praying for rain and he sends you a fire instead? What's he trying to say to you? What's he trying to say to me? God does not send fire to destroy you or to consume you. He sends his fire to prove his presence to you. Did you hear that? He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to consume you. He's trying to prove his presence to you. When you see fire in the Bible, it is indicative of God's presence much of the time. When, when you see fire, it means that God is there in some way. When he gathered the nation of Israel together and the fire fell, the net result was that the people fell to the ground and said with one voice, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. God got glory in this particular circumstance. When God sends the fire into your life, it's in order that the people around you may see that the God you serve really is who you say he is. And they're able to see the fire of God through you. Because he is God. He is able to, to, to stand with you through your tribulation and your troubles. God does not send the fire to consume you or to burn you alive. He sends it to prove his presence in your life. He is with you. His love is with you. He is for you. He is sovereign, and that word sovereign literally means just in complete control. The word, when you read the word sovereign, it just means God's in control. God knows what he's doing. God is sovereign. But before he sent the rain, he authenticated his sovereignty with a fire. God sends his fire to purify us. James chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God sends his fire to purify you so that you can come out as pure as gold. You know what? You know how they get gold purified? They have to heat it up. They have to apply a lot of heat to it, and they go through a process where they cleanse the gold and they pull off the dross. You can't do that until you put a fire to gold. It just can't be done. And if God has sent a fire into your life right now, whether it's a financial fire or a relational fire or some emotional thing for you he is burning away everything in your life that does not look like jesus that's what the fire is intended to do the fire is to go is intended to go in and find anything that does not look like jesus and eliminate it from your life what god is trying to do in all of us is get us to a point where we look like christ and he's melting away the facade so that you come out as pure gold the fire prepares you for what God is about to do next. It proves his presence, it purifies your heart, and it prepares you for what is next. God did eventually send the rain that Israel so desperately needed, but not before he sent the fire to authenticate his sovereignty. Some of you right now are praying for rain, and it seems like God, all he's doing is sending more fire into your life. You know, it's interesting between the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, there is a period there of 400 years where God did not speak. Now, 
that doesn't sound like a whole lot to us because God, we've gone for quite a while and God hasn't spoken the way he did in the Old Testament. Um, but if you're used to that kind of thing and you're used to hearing God speak and then you come into a period of 400 years where it's not happening, you, you kind of start to wonder, hey, what, what is up with that? So for 400 years, no prophetic revelation, no word, nothing from heaven, 400 years. You ever felt like God has gone silent on you at the most inopportune of times? You ever thought to yourself, man, God, I need to hear from you now more than ever before, and it just feels like you've checked out. It feels like you're not around and you're not, you don't care. Like when you really need him to make a decision and you think, God, I need, I need some clarity on this. I need to know what's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. And you're feeling desperate and you're craving affirmation. And you get nothing. It, it's like somebody hit the mute button on God. Now, mute buttons are great, but we don't want one on God, right? <clears throat> we don't want to put a mute button on God. But it, it just, sometimes it feels like that's what's happened. 400 years of silence. Three years, no rain. There's a preacher in South Carolina. He preaches at a fairly large uh, church. His name is Perry Noble, and somebody asked him one time, Perry, why does it always seem that when we need God the most, he seems to go silent? Now listen to this answer. He said, because the teacher is always silent during the test. We have a saying among preachers. And the saying is this, that'll preach. That will preach. The teacher is always silent during the test. I used to, uh, when I was in Bible college, my sophomore year, I had Greek class. Doesn't that just sound exciting? It gets better. Had Greek class, 7 o'clock in the morning, four days a week, 7 o'clock in the morning Greek class. And the way our teacher took attendance is with these wonderful words. Everyone, please take out a clean sheet of paper. You've got to be kidding me. We took a Greek quiz every single day in Greek class. He would, it was his way to ensure that we had done our homework. And so he would, we would have these words that we were supposed to know and know how to translate them and what, how, you know, do the whole declension deal. And um, it was really good if you could do it if it was a verb and you treated it as a verb and not as a noun. Bad things happened to you if you didn't do that. But he would call out the word, and then he would give you a few minutes to do whatever it was with the word he wanted you to do or what it wanted to know about that word. And then he would move on to the next one. But, but as he, he, all he would do is call out the word, and then he wouldn't say anything else. And then there was dead silence in the room as we wrote out the answers to, to what it was that he wanted us to do with those Greek words. Every single day he did that, and every day he was quiet while we took the test. So if God is silent in your life right now, it's not because he's absent. It could be because he's testing you. It could be that he's trying to teach you something or prepare you for something or get you ready for something special he doesn't test you to punish you he tests you to promote you for whatever he has purposed for you it's just like school you you can't go to the next level until you pass all the tests and graduate the level that you're at you don't go off to college until you've gotten out of high school and there's certain things that you've got to do certain tests you have to take you have to measure up so that you can be ready for the next thing there are things that god wants to do with me that right now i'm not ready to do 
And so he's going to test me and purify me and work me through some things to get me to a place that I'm ready to do some of the things that are going to happen five and ten years from now. That's not just true of the preacher. That's true of everybody in the room. There are things that God has specifically planned for you to do and be a part of, and right now you may not be ready. So it may be that you have to go through a fire. It may be that you have to go through some things so that he can get you to the place that you can do the things that he wants you to do. He's purifying you with fire. We just went through Christmas season. Isn't it interesting that the announcement of the birth of Christ happened on the heels of 400 years of silence? Nothing for 400 years. And then the next thing you know, you know, behold, I bring you great news today. A child is going to be born. He is the Savior. It's, you know, everything's going to change now. And all that happened after 400 years of silence. If God is silent right now in your life, he has not forgotten you. If you are going through the fire right now, you're not alone. It's highly possible that he is testing you. It's highly possible that God has just handed you one of those sheets of paper with all those circles on it and a number two pencil and said, I'm going to be quiet for a while while you go take the test. And he's just waiting to see if you're going to do okay in the test. There are times in our life when we cry out, God, speak, give me the answer. I, I want to know. And God says, no, there, there's, I'm, I'm in charge and there's some things I'm trying to get accomplished here. And I just need you to do it my way. He's testing you. He does not send his fire to punish you. He does not send his fire to, to do something bad to you. He sends it to prove to you and he sends it to prove you. And he proves you so that he can promote you so that he can do what has, he's purposed for you in, his, in, in your life. Because he's made a promise to us to, it's like, it's like James says, you know, that, that so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God has not forgotten you. You, you may be praying and thinking, man, my prayers are bouncing off of the, the ceiling and, and they're not making it through. He is with you. He is for you. His favor is on you and his presence is with you let the fire fall because as the fire falls it's going to burn away everything that doesn't look like christ and let's be honest at the end of the day isn't that what we want isn't that why you got up this morning and came to church because you want to be more like christ isn't that really what you're after is that you want to be likened to christ and if there's something that's in the way of that you want it burned away yet when it happens oftentimes we complain some of you right now are in flames. Some of you right now are going through things and you're thinking, man, Brett, you know, I, I just want the rain to fall. Listen, we all want the rain to fall. We, we all want what we want. But God is in control. God knows what he's doing. Uh, somehow I'm supposed to tie all this up into a bow and and, you know, make it pretty and offer an invitation, and much many were saved that day. I, you know, this is what I would say to you. If you've never given your life to Christ, it's possible that you would listen to me speak and you would say, that's exactly why I don't want to be a Christian because I don't like when preachers talk that way. And I don't like it that God does that because it doesn't make sense to me. Well, first of all, you're not God, and you don't know. I don't know what God's up to in Haiti. I, it doesn't... I'm not saying that God caused the earthquake. I don't know what I think about all that. I, but I know this. I know that God has a plan for what's going on in Haiti. And I know that God 
want more than anything else, more than he wants someone to be healed or saved or pulled out of the rubble or anything else, what God wants above any of that is his glory. That's what God wants. Now, that's hard for us to latch on to, but here's what I would tell you. God has not one wit's problem with my death if it means his glory. Okay? If Brett Wilson has to die so that God gets glory, God says, I'll make that trade every time. And he'll make that trade for any of us. Do you understand that what God wants is his glory above everything else? And while it may not make sense, and we look at it and we go, God, I'm trying to do the math in my head, and it's just not making any sense to me. It's not supposed to make sense to us. He knows what's going on. But it's possible that if you don't know Jesus, you're thinking, why would I want to serve a God like that? Well, you know what? The, the fire is going to come in your life one way or the other. Here's what I've figured out about God. It may not make sense just to the natural mind, but a lot of things that don't make sense to the natural mind, when I put on Bible lenses and I start to see it through Scripture, it begins to make sense to me at least a little bit. I don't always understand why he sends fire instead of rain. But sometimes I can see it. Sometimes it makes sense. And when I'm told it's being done to purify me and it's being done to get me ready. Listen, the thing I say this all the time and I've said this from the stage. There are things that I've been through in my life that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I've gone through some things that, that have been hard for me to go through and God has taught me some unbelievable lessons. Really, the life lessons I've learned, I've learned with a frown on my face. I, there's not a whole lot that I've hold near and dear that I learned with a big grin on my face. It, it came the hard way. It came through hard stuff. It came through mistakes. It comes through, you know, not being perfect. It comes through just stuff. But those are the things that I find when I get into counseling situations or I get into a ministry situation, those are the things that I find myself laying hold of to use in ministry. I don't know what you're going through today, but the odds are very, very good that whatever it is, God is going to use a year or five or 10 or 15 to make you the person he needs for a specific situation when he says, now it's your turn. And I've put the fire to you and you're ready for this. And I've purposed you for this moment. So don't, some of you in the room are at the point, you know, you're, you're, you've prayed for so long, you think, Brett, I'm just going to give up. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Don't give up your faith. You're praying for rain. God may send a fire. There's a test in it, and there's good things coming. You have to trust God for that. You have to trust God for that. Let's pray together. Father, we, we've talked an awful lot this series about hearing from you, and we've said that it's more important to be able to hear from you than to know what to say. You've got what we want to say figured out. You know what we're trying to say. And for those of us who are believers, you've given us the Holy Spirit to even interpret further what our prayers are. The Bible says that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Lord, it's not what we say that's nearly as important as what you say and what you want us to hear. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church and we would be individuals who hear your voice. That, that when we are praying for rain and you send fire and we don't understand that we wouldn't curse you, we wouldn't shake a fist in your direction, we might confess that we don't understand, we might ask a question, but God, could we at the end of the day be a people who says, I must be being purified, there, this must be a test, you must be getting me ready for something big. Father, we want your glory, we want it most of all, above everything else, we want you to be glorified. 
And if we have to go through a fire to make that happen, then help us to be mature enough as believers to say, so be it. Let it happen. Lord, we love you. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the rain, we love you. We give you thanks. Thank you for Jesus, Father. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.